This is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Q. And me, Roger Bell West. And uh, this month we're going to be talking about about affairs of state and state and the state of affairs and whether we should get it entangled into our games. Or is it just a heavyweight author's message? And also about uh, what do you do when uh, your players have credit cards and aren't afraid to use them. I mean your characters. What, that's, no. what to do when your player characters have credit cards and aren't afraid to use them. If you have credit cards and aren't afraid to use them, send, send us a tip. <laughs> that's terribly commercial. PayPal.me slash RogerBW. Thank you. sadly. This month we lost one of the great ones, I think it's fair to say. Um, one of the people who gave creative fire to the early days of the hobby, who after Ken St. Andrew was perhaps the, the person who most inspired new things at the beginning of the games about thinking how games could be more and better than our first efforts. And I'm talking about Greg Stafford, who passed away far too soon. Um, and I, I, my personal memories of him are his kindness to me at the Glorantha-Cons in the 80s and 90s. And I am of the opinion that he was quite, quite bonkers. <laughs> uh, a cross between a... Uh, all the good shamans are. Well, yeah, I mean, a cross between a Californian hippie shaman... And uh, and an old school wargamer, and, and I, I say that last because because in the later bits of uh, fifth edition Pendragon, which was publishing for himself, he he he, got, he showed a great love of tables and systems and all that sort of thing. All but all with the point of view of creating something magical, something suitable for the genre, for the type of story he was trying to trying to tell. I think it's fair to say that he was the first to say system affects story and let's have a system here which tells the sort of stories I'm trying to I'm trying to show here. I found that particularly obvious in Pendragon. Well, yeah, uh, Pendragon is what I'm thinking. Which is one of the systems... I, I think possibly the first role-playing system that he actually designed himself as opposed to... Yeah, he, I mean, he, he, helped, he helped Steve Perrin with RuneQuest and he... And he, in, and he Gave Steve Perrin uh, permission to um, to use Glorantha, and he said to Steve Perrin, "Here are the things I don't like about D and D. What can we do about them?" Mm. And that was a major input. But but I, I think it is fair to say that RuneQuest and BRP that came out of it are essentially. We will start with we have a fairly good idea of how people fighting works. Yeah, we will start we'll, with we'll build a thing around with that. A, uh, two, two people with weapons bashing at each other. And similarly, D and D. I mean, took a very different approach to what that is, but it basically did did that. RuneQuest had the world in a in a age when fantasy worlds were minimal. Yeah, and uh, and they're all they're all talking for some reason. Well, plus other things. But I think the thing about Pendragon, and that was certainly the first of Graves games that I interacted with much, is that in what would later become the indie style, it is very much. Here are some mechanics that are designed to cause this sort of thing to happen. Mm. Yeah, we want people to get really enthusiastic and go mad and run off in the woods for five years. Mm. Because that's the sort of thing that happens in we, an Arthurian story. We want people to care about their honour and about uh, their courtly romance and about their loyalty to King or whoever. Even when these things are explicitly bad for their personal survival. Yeah. And yeah. indeed when they come into conflict with each other, when it get, which is when it gets really good. And then he produced the Great Pendragon campaign, or the, uh, starting with the Boy King, the idea that you could run the whole of uh, of Arthur's reign uh, as as one long, continuous campaign, being about the families rather yeah. than about the individual 
uh, that, characters. I think that was at least to some extent it, and that the family thing was in Pendragon from yeah. the beginning. But the the idea that that there were you know you could have a list of years and things that were going to happen in those years, mm. it, it does seem to have grown over time. The very early versions of the Pendragon campaign mm. without the Great pretty much start, as uh, far as I remember, start with the Boy King. And yeah. then, then the other stuff, that, that it went back to the Anarchy period, then then to Uther. The latest version, I believe, there is actually a prequel to that, which is basically Ambrosius and that lot, before I think Uther that, comes to the throne. I think that may have that may have pushed ambition a little too far. Well, I, I haven't bought that myself, but, he, the, the, but this is still, I mean, there probably are other campaigns that big. I cannot think of another campaign intended to take that much game time. It is a it is a huge, a huge ambition and a huge piece of work. And but I, for my part, um, am much more impressed by his myth making for Glorantha for mm-hmm. all the for all the weirdness and for all the um, revisions of revisions of history. There's there's something magnificent about uh, ideas and the scale and the sheer diversity of it and the number of different points of view he could pull his mind around into when telling stories out of his world. I think there's also an, an interesting transition in terms of creativity. It it's okay. I won't say easy, but it, but it is a conceivable thing that you can spend ten years writing down every detail you can think of about a world. Mm. And he's certainly not the only person who's done that. But to to write the things in such a way that other people can not only create their own things, but create their own mm. things with a reasonable confidence that they are basically in tune with the things that you've written, takes a slightly different sort of writing style. And that, that was ra- rather more difficult, and I think a more impressive achievement in some ways. It is. I think that, that, that may be the difference between him and a more academic author like Professor Barker. Uh, Professor Barker... It was only later when other people came came along and said, look, can we do this? I think that um, Tekimel became more accessible. Mm. But Greg was always saying, this is a shared creation right from the start. But uh, we are sorry there will be no more from him. There will be echoes of him in everything that um, his company and well, his yes, fans let, let, do. Let's, let's remember Chaosium founded to publish Renquest. Without Kersim, probably no Call of Cthulhu. No, true. Or at least it would have looked very different. Uh, well, I think it actually was, it was founded to publish White Bear Red Moon, okay. I think. Um, and and the board game came came first. It's a pity, honestly, that I didn't like um, Dragon Pass uh, more than I did. I, it's, so, it's sort of a pity that uh, the second edition of Nomad Gods never got translated from the French. And that the Lords of Luck and Death, the Masters of Luck and Death, which I think was going to be the third one, uh, never got beyond the prototype stage. But There is one, I think, pretty obscure now board game hmm. uh, called King Arthur's Knights. Yeah. I, I, which, don't which, go with the ladies. Don't go with yeah, the ladies. I, I, I played this at Stabcon. And it, it it's a few years earlier than Midragon. I think it's late 70s hmm. when it came out. Um uh, but it is very much feeling, taking the same approach of, right, we, we know what sort of stories we want to tell, we know what sort of behaviours we want to encourage. Mm. So you, you go up north, the enemies are harder. Mm. Um, e, that's true. So what, why why do your powerful knights who can take on the enemies up north not simply stay down south beating up the soft knights? Answer, because there are ladies out there who are really dangerous, <laughs> but they will ignore the... Um, Beginning play, beginning characters. Not well, really, once you get a bit, bit of reputation, you can't evade them in the same way. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there are also monsters and wizards, but it's women who are dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> well, go go in peace, Greg Stafford, and uh, let us ext- uh, let us extend our condolences to his family and our best wishes for the future to Kosu. <laughs> We're recording this in the middle of October, so the following segment may not be bang up to date and may um, possibly be outdated by the time you hear it, and that may even be a virtue. 
Oh uh, well, yeah. Well, we're, we're I'm bundling off to Germany for uh, um, the Kraken, and and Roger's bundling off to Germany the week after uh, for Essen. But what we want to talk about, what I wanted to talk about, was to some extent the wisdom and the possibility of including contemporary political and other controversial events into your campaigns. Whether it can be done, whether it should be done, um, and if it's going to be done, how best to do it. Um, I remember, I, I've probably told this story about approximately five times on this podcast already, um, that during the early years of the 20th century, after 9-11, um, I was running one of my universe-hopping campaigns, and the universe-hopping uh, group of knights from Caithness ended up in the IST, International Super Teams world, of, uh, of GURPS. And, uh, and it turned out that the President Bush there was the Antichrist. And I sort of regret doing that now. <laughs> it was a crude... Not as much as the IST world does. Yeah, well, no, no, no. He, 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 they, they, he was slaughtered by our heroes. That's what they were there for. <laughs> Um, uh, but I, it feels it felt uh, crude and unnecessary at the time. But I was rather peeved. My, my passions have got the better of me. Um, and working direct political statements in his crass, working political parable parables is that what I mean? Parables or parallels depend. Parallels. I, I probably mean um, analogies metaphors. Um... Well, I think it would be fair to say that a large part of the genre of science fiction is commentary on the real world. Yeah. At this moment, uh, please see my blog for my withering and disapproving review of David Weber's latest on a Harrington book. But, oh, no, bite. There's something that, that's, yeah, but... that's, kept, that's, that's, a, that's a series that has kept up with the right-wing prejudices of, the, of its day. But it it doesn't even have to be that, and some of the later Jack McDevitt books, mm. um, yeah, if we're talking about sort of book six or so in in, a, in the series, all of a sudden, uh, in a world where this hasn't really been a concern before, in the far future, there are people who want to stop space exploration and people who want to encourage space exploration who are the good guys. Yeah, um... and yeah, I, I have some sympathy with encouraging space exploration, but but it's heavy handed and. and that, that that I think may be the key point. Mm. If it's too bloody obvious, yeah, then it feels like, um, oh, what's that film where you have the little curly cues coming in from the edge of the screen and um, author's message flashing up during particular particular scene. Uh, your cineast qualifications are better than mine. What's new, Pussycat? I think. Good grief! So I certainly wouldn't call myself cineast for that. Well, no, no, good, better memory than mine. But in any case. But in any case, yeah. Um, Be- being preachy is an error. Uh, I th- I th- think, therefore, you are. Well, yes, that too, uh, or so I'm told. But what it it should be at least something interesting to explore. I mean, if you just want to mm. say these guys are bad, that's not exploring anything. No, and and George W. Bush, the Antichrist, did not um, add anything to my. Um, yeah, to uh, to my series of adventures, much. I, I wonder whether one might take the approach of saying, take particularly if you've got if you've got a, a situation where most of your players are going to be in broad agreement with you. Oh, that's a point I'm going to come back to. Yeah, but but if you have, then making the other side sympathetic is going to be mm. much more challenging and much more interesting. Yeah, I think much more interesting. Yeah, I would. Um, I think you have to have uh, interest. First of all, rather than agreement, interest is. Um, I've I've mentioned the crash of my um, rediscovery of magic, my uh, my Isaac Newton rediscovers magic campaign. Bec- and the primary reason was because I discovered that my literary the uh, my literary parallel is the character of Artie, the super intelligent gerbil. In the Narbonic com- comic strip, <laughs> Artie is terribly earnest and left-wing and interested in deep subjects, and nobody else in the comic strip is. And I discovered too far in that the the machinations at the top of the pile of the new age of magic weren't as interesting to my players as they were to me. And 
if the issues don't, if they don't give a damn and they just want to shoot something, then the issues are going to be flavor text. Um, I'm reminded of the um, Dork Tower strip uh, where uh, Matt, Matt is introducing the, the new Elizabethan setting. And it's got this and this and it's got some dramaturgy and blah, 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 blah. blah. It's deadly silence from the players. And you can bash things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But assuming you've got interest in a campaign which has political, moral, what sort of themes are hot for this month, is it safe to assume that your players do agree with you? How far are you going? I mean, you have, you have dis- it is possible to discover that people you know, people you, you like, have radically different political views from you. Mm-hmm. And um, I, and I'm not quite sure whether agreeing everybody agree, around the table agreeing is a good thing, or a mixture of agreement and disagreement. Because we're modelling things on a fairly high level here, and hand wavium, and like that. And uh, at some point, if the GM and the players have different mental models of how the world actually works. They're going to say, but I did it all right. Why aren't you giving me my triumph? Mm. Um, I, if, if you assume that getting the masses, the people, sorry, sorry, I'm under conscious privilege there, um, the people enthusiastic about a new movement and, and getting them all stirred up is the important thing. And your players are assuming that uh, machine, machinations behind the scenes and getting the elites on your side is the important thing. How do you come to a common model? Hmm. My my feeling is that that mostly comes down to well, what, only one of you is the GM, but yeah, th- th- there is obviously going to be a lot of feedback. Um, reading the room, I think it might, might be mm. the relevant phrase here. Uh, cer- certainly, the reason I GM rather than writing stories is that I like the feedback I get from players and the way mm. that modifies what happens. Yeah, but are you I. What I what I think so, so so what you end up with is a compromise I think yeah uh, and that that may in fact be played out um, thinking about the World War Two game mm. are the the PCs are now powerful enough both in terms of magic and in terms of the people they know mm. that they wield a fair bit of political influence if if they say this this particular course of action is a really bad idea for magical reasons. There's a good mm. chance they'll be believed because they've got they've got a classified record that says they've done stuff like this before. Um, so far, the, the the players are choosing not to throw that about. Obviously, mm. it's a limited resource, but that's certainly something they could do. Yeah, I hang on, I've lost track of this. I suspect the danger of this is that you find your own obsessions about how things ought to be. Allowing you to force, making you not take enough, um, not take enough account of how other things can happen. Um, I was fairly shocked because I hadn't thought of it myself when the proposal came up in the um, in uh, the the Return of Magic game that to make everybody at least a low level magician. To give them everybody some ability to, um, this was you know on a global basis. Everybody can now see magic. Everybody can now do, mm-hmm. and nobody is trying to murder us because they think our magic is is nasty. Hmm. Um, they have to murder themselves first for, for philosophical uh, consistency. <laughs> yes, yes. On, on, only the witch hunters get to burn themselves to prevent themselves their souls falling into hell. Actually, win win on the whole. Mm. Um, but it's something I hadn't thought of, and I. I, I we never re- resolved it, but I can't help feeling that somewhere on the along the line there's a dreadful trap in the in that that particular cunning plan. But it would have been fun to play it out. Mm. Yes, the, the World War Two game has has seen a gradual increase from standard GURPS low mana minus five to it's currently minus two over the space of a few years, and the the the, the player characters are reasonably worried about whether and indeed where this is this may stop. Well, quite. Um, I've always assumed that the high level mana in Gertz tends to cause the the ludicrously high mana tends to cause the universe to dissolve out into the interdimensional gloop. Though it appears that too little mana also may also um, 
course, there's a fact. All right, get, get, away, anyway. get away from, from War Tales uh, uh, and our own. Well, there, there is a ca- an example from a different campaign that I think may mm. be useful, uh, because th- this is an example of working things through with the players. Mm. Uh, the 1960s Psy campaign, phase one of this, ended um, with essentially a lot more people suddenly getting Psy powers. It, it had been basically mm. you, you and a few others are, are the people with Psy, and you're, and you're basically fighting against each other. And then all of a sudden there are low-level Psy criminals. Yeah. And things like that. Inverse of the House of M. Um, yeah. That it, well, uh, and how, how that would affect society. Uh, you know, who, who gets made Minister of Psionics? Mm. And things like that were, were things that were worked out with the players rather than my imposing them. Or at least I think so. They may disagree. Mm, Psionic Registration Act. Well, um, they were trying quite hard to avoid that. Yeah. I would, I would too. Even, even though they were working for MI5. Mm, well, yeah. And, and would obviously have been exempted from it. I think you probably end up with... Some, in Britain, you probably end up with something like temps, um, which which you have to register your signing uh, ability when you get your national insurance card. Mm. Um, and you have to go on uh, on, 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 on psionic uh, missions when you're registered as unemployed. So, hey. oppression, you know. Um, one of the... One of the things about using politics in fiction is that we tend to project it into the future. Um, I've always complained that cyberpunk is deeply dull as a <laughs> as a as a campaign, being a a, a rejig of the nineteen thirties uh, projected into the future, but with added chrome. I would have said pre Great War. It feels more Gilded Age to me. Ooh, yes, perhaps even even. Yeah, but you you need that you need the real desolation on the bottom levels. Mm. Um, the not just the not just the well, yeah, there is the grinding poverty of the Gilded Age, but the sense of having lost a good time that there once was mm. is part of of cyberpunk. And yet, looking at the world as it is at the moment, I keep thinking, oh gosh, maybe they were right. Well, you you may recall the cyberpunk campaign I pitched a few years ago, mm. which, which people didn't didn't uh, particularly enthuse about because it was a bit too downbeat, which now looks hope, hopelessly optimistic. But that's another concern. I feel I I feel that uh, things like it's also it's also uh, also difficult to know whether when you're reinforcing um, assumptions memes. Um, H.G. Wells's vision of the next world war, especially in the movie of Things to Come, influenced the way people assumed the second world war was going to play out, and I'd like for our hobby to be a little more springing out of uh of the of the cliches out out of the memes and yet on the other hand you need a cliche to be able to do the um campaign description it makes it easy to to get a hold of what's what's going on you know Mm. Uh, let's also remember that um people saw star trek and were influenced to the flip phone design true people read neuromancer and decided that the net ought to work like that and it's been a terrible mistake well, we, we we can't be responsible for every idiot decision that you make from listening to this program. We, we need to stick that in at the end, right? But if, but if you make lots of money, we'd like royalties, um, or at least you know praise. Yeah, I think the the biggest problem to my mind is if you if you do get a player who profoundly disagrees with you about something, mm. and they, they decide correctly or otherwise that the thing you're putting in is a metaphor for this thing that they feel strongly about. Uh, yeah, um, that that will cause an angry player. Yeah, um, no, triggering. Can, yeah, yeah tri- triggering for personal reasons is a complicated thing. Triggering for political reasons, I think, is probably slightly more straight straightforward. I I know not a number of people who are reasonably clever and sophisticated in their general thought, but if you mention uh, 1980s Thatcherism, they will react in a very simple and predictable way. I, I regard having that sort of simple reaction as a as a vulnerability, and I try to avoid having it. But not everybody feels that way clearly, mm. and it, it makes one easy to manipulate. Yeah, I have. Uh, uh, we Roger and I should probably not compare political uh, political viewpoints <laughs> at any point in time. What I think is a tricky part is wh- how and um, where you give pe- the players 
agency and wish fulfillment. Um, we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't want to be more powerful than we are in reality, mostly. Um, there are people out there, God bless you, who are having fun playing more miserable lives than you actually have. But uh, I'm not one of them. And I'm not quite sure if there is a realistic way of um, modelling um, of modelling political movements and of the ways that political movements happen. Uh, yet, not, uh, not, things not, like not, not one that isn't its own game at the very yeah. least. Things like the 1980s, looking back back on them, um, were a, were a time of ludicrous and unlikely events. Uh, the Pope mm-hmm. conspired with the Polish uh, up under, underground and brought down the uh, the 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 Warsaw Pact. There, there, there's a Nelson Mandela walked out out out, out of um, out, out of uh, of, uh, of a prison and into into the presidency. Uh, and it, it's there's a very fine piece on all the implausibilities of the Falklands War, which just make it obvious it was written by by a bad uh, sense military fiction writer. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I have come to the conclusion that recent politics are the intervention of certain alien space bats. Who uh, this isn't how the timeline was meant to run out, chaps. This is totally, utterly unlikely. Somebody somebody has been fiddling somewhere, and if they don't stop, I'm going to report them. Um, what, assuming you have buy-in on the nature of the campaign and the things well, that, you're going that, to that's do. That's something I'd just like to drop in there. All right, this is another war story, but it's a short one. Uh, that 60s Psy campaign. Mm-hmm. My original vision for this was um, characters discover they have powers, they, they, they get pressured into joining up with MI5. Mm-hmm. They, they decide, no, no, this is not acceptable and go on the run. They decided instead that they would join. And it was acceptable. Yeah. And they went for the pension. I, 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 the couple, a couple of players have, have said that they, they found the um, threats ra- raised against them and their families just a bit too convincing mm. and, and felt that this was clearly the way that they should go. Right. Are you expecting grim and gritty? And instead of, instead of which, you've got, yes, Minister, I've already read your mind. <laughs> But I could still use a lot of the adventures, but they they now had a certain amount of uh, official backing, which mm. made a difference. Yeah, did you invent? Do did you invent the laundry a little early? Let's put it under the broad category of occult secret service. Yeah, is this generally a good idea, or should we stick with the elves? The elves who. Uh, Live in their treetop cities and uh, take very little notice of what's happening on the ground until, until uh, it threatens them. Uh, because that's a political statement. I mean, that in itself is a political statement. Yeah, all right. Everything is political. Uh, yeah, may, may, maybe you sh- you shouldn't um, make make them uh, obvious oil company bosses or something. Allegory, allegory. That was the word I was looking for. Allegory. Oh, good grief! The aphasia is getting worse. On the banks of the Nile. Yeah, yeah. Allegory, allegory is the is the deep literary way of doing it, and I think I think it's it's reasonable at all times when you're putting together any sort of campaign, especially one which involves um, involves the high uh, end of society or great changes in society, to look at the allegories that you're unconsciously shoving into it. And the, uh, I mean, look at your assumption about the about the 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 dam, about the in, uh, heroes being uh, being only able to find um, integrity in it and uh, a good a good set of things to do by running away from the government. Mm. Um, but you, I think you do need to look on so many levels, not only political but also moral, um, at the assumptions you're making in the structure of your allegory, and it. In role playing, we um, we tend to go because it's 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 the basic structure of what we do to, for the small band of noble, dedicated heroes who can make a difference. Very often by bashing things. Very often by bashing things. Sometimes by by lying to people. Uh, sometimes by stealing things, and sometimes by seducing people. 
All though, though consider also um, some some of the eras of superhero comics where you know all all of a sudden we we, we realise that our readers out there care about urban poverty, so we will have a story about how you can fight urban poverty by bashing things because mm-hmm. that's what our characters do. Yeah, uh, I, I I seem to remember and, the the whole point of the, the classic Green Lantern Green Arrow crossover was to make the point about how damned helpless they were with their powering and their um. And and their trick arrows, but um, and they went to see him, and they all went to see America. Mm. But the, the there's an interesting difference talking about political allegories between the Marvel uh, Civil War stories in the comic books and in the movies, and I can't help feeling that the movies have been rewritten for a more conservative um, and less imaginative age. Well, I, I occasionally make make the error of um, listening to people who who are fans of superheroes in general, and they seem to me to be a pretty grotty lot. Um, I'm sure there are superhero fans out there who who aren't, but they don't make a fuss about being superhero fans. Oh well, <sighs> there's the hate mail for it, the it year. Do, it does seem to me that a significant chunk of the comics audience really doesn't like their worldview challenged. Let's put it that way. Yeah, there's a and and if you do that, you're going to lose some of them. Even if you get get some other people in as a result. Yeah, there's a there is a a fairly nasty under undergrowth in comics fandom, but it may just be the, the inflated by the internet. I oh, think. almost certainly. And the the internet does uh, has not entirely had a good effect upon our. Uh, society's culture but that's because they're not listening to our podcast mm. also we need to fix human nature working on that uh, yeah that's what the mages in my in my campaign said look there's just this one small flaw and if we can fix it but thereby hangs another tale onwards There comes a point in your campaign where you tell them what they have to do and they're in the city where they've been given the mission and you say to them, right, everything ready, let's set off. And then somebody, hello, Graham Arnold, I'm talking to you, Graham Arnold, in particular, says, let's go shopping first. I'm sure there are things that we need. And at this point in time, you become aware that uh, you've given them money You've given them a patron, and you have no real excuse to keep away from the shopping scene. So what do you do? What are your standbys for when they want to go shopping? Well, first of all, is this a bad thing? Nothing is a bad thing if it's entertaining. But as, as long as all the players are re- at least a little bit into that, yeah, then I would say... Yeah, don't drag it out, but yeah, why not? Okay, so you're going. You do not have a list in your head of all the things that there are in your universe. No, I'm generating them procedurally. Oh, good, because the player over there is generating procedurally an image of what he thinks ought to be in your universe, Mm -hmm. and he says to you, and you go into, he goes into the shop, and he says, "I need a really good." Oh, let's make it suitcase for my trip across the Atlantic to go and uh, uh, visit my uncle who is in some terrible trouble uh, with some cultists. And and you look at him, and what do you do? Oh, sir, you'll be wanting the Tentaculo nine thousand. Tentaculo? That sounds that sounds arcane. Why? You said cultists. I mentioned the cultists, but what is this a counter-cultist piece Absolutely. of... Absolutely. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> All right. All right. Or, or as it may be, um, he wants to go into... Uh, this happens more often than I can tell, just because I let it happen. He wants to go into the ye olde magic shoppy and see what sort of random magical items have been handed in by the Adventurers Guild this week. And he's vague about what he wants but he wants something he can spend all his money on. 
So where... special on Wands of Wonder. Take two, take three. Yeah, no, no, no. You might. What I want, what I think that I need the procedural generator for, is something unique, and uh, and and oh, sir, you uh, you will not see another one like this. Um, this was made by the great arch enchanter Ulfius the Unlikely, and uh, and it was his last masterpiece. Yes, I know it looks like a small. A bird that dips its beak into a glass, but you should see what it does. I need, I need, I need a procedure for coming up with something um, uh, so cool that he can't help but spend his money on it. I've, I feel this betrays a certain lack of mission focus. Well, yes, but I don't. I have given them the precisely. If I wanted them to have precisely the thing that they are going to need, they're either going to find it. Or they've been given it in advance, and are going to, it's going to be stolen from them halfway mm. through the journey. But what I mean is, if if somebody's saying, "Let's go shopping because we need stuff for this mission," yeah, then that's probably what they're looking for. They're look, they're looking for the muffled drill and the collapsible ladder and things like that. Yeah, or um, magical equivalents thereof. Probably true. It's the magical equivalents thereof that causes me to stretch my. Um, Imagination to breaking point. Well, sometimes, for one thing, and unless your PCs are uniquely rich and successful, the existence of magic shops that cater to them implies there are other people to whom who would also be catered to by magic shops. True. Mag- so they may well. I mean, arbitrage suggests that they may well not be anything much available, or if if there is, it'll be slightly more expensive than they think it ought to be. Hmm. That remind me that slight. It would help. Generally, if I had a better sense of what money is worth, but then if I had that, I would have had an entirely different life. the The problem here is to make each bit of um, shopping, whatever it is, interesting and exciting to the a player, and possibly dangerous, and you know, not reduced to. Um, you want a standard standard ten foot pole. Here is a bunch of them, and that'll be uh, 53 copper pieces. You want to haggle? Oh, right, let's get the dice out. Mm, well, yeah, the, the, the haggling thing suggests that this this is a player who's spent points on, on haggling. Yeah, that's represented, true. And they, they want to have their moment of fun. Okay, how do you haggle? Because I've never done this. I've always... I, I, I don't haggle. I know you've offered to haggle on my behalf at, at Essen. It's very gracious of you. Very, very broadly speaking, uh, I'm, is this, sorry, is, is this a completely serious question? It's a complete because I've never done haggling. Right in, in a culture where it is expected, uh, there, there is an advertised price, or, or mm. you ask how much it is, and you get told something based on how much how much jewelry, jewelry you have about you. Mm. And if you are very stupid, you pay it. But the expectation is that you will offer a much lower price. Mm. And there will be protestations on both sides, and the, the guy will talk about his, his starving wife and children, and, and and you will talk about the rubbish quality of the thing. But you need one right now, otherwise he wouldn't deign to sully sully your feet with this terrible shop, and so on. And eventually you'll arrive at somewhere in the middle. And people think this is fun, do they? If, as a player, you're you've spent points on your character being good at this, yeah, yeah, then it, then clearly you do. Yeah, it it. <laughs> Unlike wooing somebody, um, unlike wooing so, uh, somebody, where I can say, "Gosh, that's a good line," I, I'm not even going to require you to roll. Or, "Gosh, that's a good line," I'll give you a plus four on your seducibility. I have no clear idea of what's going on in people's heads when they do this, and it's all down to the dice, which is dull, dull dice, but at least quick. True. But but the player wants flavour, and there's um, some flavour to be got out of mysterious and quirky shops where um, the o- owner already knows your name when you step through the door um, and has just the thing for you, sir. Um, but but you can only do that just so much, and there's a lim- limit to the amount of weirdness you want in the in the campaign. Well, to me, Magic Shop is a big chunk of weirdness right there. Mm. That, that, I think, may be the problem. If you have hugely powerful individual magic items, the the model that occurs to me is not so much you go into a shop mm. 
as you you hear a rumour, if you're if you're sufficiently well connected, of a private sale from a collection. Yeah, and that there is perhaps an auction um, with, with shadowy figures, and uh, nobody's really quite sure who won, but they seem to have left this large pile of gold. So, yeah, actually, that's that's the sort of shopping expedi- expedition which you ought to get players involved in. That, that's an adventure in itself. Yeah, quite. There's also uh, I was remember fondly the. Uh, the GURPS Magic I- Items for 3rd Edition, which went into all the details about the industry of enchantment <laughs> and how there are... If you have the sort of world where that happens. Yeah, yeah well, uh, well, there, there are mad... They're all mad because they live alone, except for maybe an apprentice. Inhaling mercury fumes. Inhaling mercury fumes. Mercury fumes are the, are the least dangerous thing that they inhale. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, dragon's blood, uh, if exposed to heat, is is a is a major mu- mutagen. Um, the, uh, the uh, and and the and not only that, but the commissioning agent who is looking for the the perfect client to uh, to tie this latest magical work in with, and and the whole thing is uh, is quite charming in its own little way. Mm. I suspect if that sort of universe existed. There would be, uh, there would not be, there would be second-hand magical shoppies. There, are, there is the antique magical trade, but I think new magical items come about by commissioning, by by if you have to ask the price, you can't afford it. Sort of yeah, agencies. If it's the sort of setting where everybody and his dog has a plus one sword, mm. then clearly somebody is making those things. Yeah, well, I th- well, I think I think, and, and that that's the sort of thing you might well find mass produced. Yeah, yeah, and but, but really, is is that significantly different from well, you you can have a nice shiny sword or you can have this cheap one? Functionally, mm, I I think actually the 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 difference that, that it makes would be one of snobbery. Um, a named sword should be better. Um, a sword that has history and and I, I believe the term sir is looking for is provenance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A, a, a sword. A, this sword, sir, was wielded at the ba- battle of. Rumfrag, and uh, uh, signed both by the by the destined hero and by the demon lord. Here, sir, if I if I if I take the uh, if I t- take it out of the scabbard, you can see this scroll inside contains these signatures and seals of every single person who has ever wielded it. Yeah, that's the way to go. But that that's that's a different that, that thing. That makes no, yes, but that makes the thing unique. That makes the thing more more interesting than. Well, Again, what what is your society? Is it the sort of society which is certainly not a, one that looks very medieval, where you can just go into a shop and buy a standard thing? Yeah, I don't think at any time magic should be a standard thing. I, well, well, it's not very interesting. It's not very magical. No, uh, but I think there are there is definitely a place for a shop which contains magical remnants, swords or wands or what that were where somebody's sometime. Or the strange things that have been picked up out of the rubble, which is nobody's quite sure what it is, but definitely tests as magic. Yes, very verified plus one swords, two hundred gold. Untested swords, ten gold. Mm. <laughs> Remove take out of shop before unsheathing. Yeah. <sighs> that 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 does imply a lot of magic, which I know some games do. Uh, it does seem to be the, the assumption in, in modern D&D, uh, Gerb's Dungeon Fantasy, that sort of thing. Mm. I've always tended to feel that magic should be rare, even the low-level stuff, but maybe that's just me. I think the other way to do it is that there was a past age of magic when it was more common than it is now, and that stuff is both high-level and low-level is left over from the uh, from the old days. Mm. Um, but I'm not... Uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure. There, there is also the Numenera model in which there is so much junk left over from the old days, and it's really quite dangerous. And each bit of it's unique. And but if you stick it into your skin, you'll probably find out what it does. Oh yes, we 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 know the detect magic spell. We call it see in the dark because there's so much stuff out there that glows. We have got somewhat diverted into. Into types of magic shoppy, and it should. Well, I, I think there's more to say about stuff. All right, talk to me about stuff that isn't magic or that is. Well, t- t- I'm just thinking. I think you've you've mentioned one of your regular players uh, ten- tends to think of 
the equipment list in a science fiction game as being the equivalent of a spell list in a yeah. fantasy game. You know, you, you have this thing and it does that. Yeah. Um, and I think a tech book can be that to some extent. It, it's the the thing that I, th- I think is interesting is the differences. Um, mm. It's it's more democratic. Anybody can go out and buy, buy a compass. Yeah. As opposed yeah. to spending five years l- learning the no direction spell. Yeah. Um, the things that everybody can have is difficult. It's um, Yet it is innately cool, from the point of view of somebody in the 21st century, to be able to put on a set of powered armour and go and shoot things with your plasma gun, even if it is a standard set of marine-powered armour, and and so is your plasma gun. It's still cool to to our sensibilities. Mm -hmm. Um, And going through the equipment lists, equipment lists come in, 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 in... it, the big books of equipment come in t- in two sorts. There's the regular stuff. This is this is the equivalent of a gun. This is the equivalent of a computer. This is, and there's the stuff which is has implications for the society if you allow it in. Mm. Things like um, all right, from the moment, a cold sleep and um, uh, tanks which will re- re- tanks which will resurrect you is uh, is another mm-hmm. thing, which if you allow it in. It's nice that it's there in the equip- equipment list, and it's nice that it's got a price, but the thing you want to know about it most is its impact on the game, and that's where we value those books, I think. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there's there, th- there, are, there are levels of shopping. There's going for what's in the equipment list. Um, there's going for something really special, and there's finding stuff that you hadn't been thinking about. The last one is the hardest for the GM to do. Mm. Um, but you should be able, if you've got hand-wavy enough um, twist of mind, to uh, uh, to be able to create things on the fly, knowing that they fit your idea of how the universe works. Also, if you have a, a reasonably rich set of stats for equipment, mm. uh, then it's not too hard to get minor variants, like... Um, yeah, the, the, this this rece- this particular uh, direction finder uh, gets a lock faster, but it's less precise, or something like that. These are minor things, but they, but they're, they're the sort of things that interest players because a lot of characters like to have something unique. Yeah, well, I think you can. What you really want to do is give give them. They only made three of these. Uh, they were prototypes. Um, it didn't didn't go well in the market, but we're selling we're selling off the old stock. Yeah. And uh, uh, you, uh, the gamers are mostly geeks. You know how ge- geeks get about the, the neat little thing that they have discovered, and mm-hmm. you want to give that pleasure in the game. And I think I think we've talked before. Uh, one of the things I, I regard as indicative of a science fiction game is that you don't just have a thing that does X and a thing that does Y. You have the possibility of joining those things together. Give an example. <sighs> all right. All right. Well, um, most most obviously something like uh, if 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 you computerize your direction finder, yeah, they, they, then uh, you 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 can let your uh, vehicle get on with that while you concentrate on not falling in a crevasse. Yeah, all right. Uh, think things like that. And I'm, the thing that's occurred to me, and this may be a thing that you suggested, I don't remember, mm. or it might might be a thing that one of our listeners suggested. Apologies if it was. Is there any other narrative style in which having a detailed equipment list is actually important? Hmm. There are certainly um, narrative styles in which some in which a situation arises and somebody says, "Fortunately, I have my X." Yeah, and that's a mechanic. That's becoming a, a, a game mechanic more and more. I am told that there are romantic fictions in which the in which how people dress and appear is extremely important and communicates a lot about things. But I am, I'm not sure that stuff is just there mostly um, in fictions. And mm, though I am, 
I'm I'm not against um, the players being able to say, but of course I would have brought with me this thing. Yeah, if I'm, there's I'm, a chance of their failing, I'm possibly too liberal on that because there is the gizmo power in GURPS, which mm. specifically lets you do that. And particularly if one of the players has spent points on it, I, I, I ought to give them more of a chance to do that than the others. And preparedness in uh, in Gumshoe. Yeah. Um, it's it. I find making sure that everybody's got absolutely everything is often a bit tedious, and yet I don't I don't tend to when I'm playing. I don't tend to pull that sort of... But of course I would have a flange lifter. I, 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 I'm, a, I, I'm a wizard. Every wizard has his own flange lifter. Um, shtick. I don't do that. I just say, no, no, I've left my flange lifter at home. And I couldn't afford to buy... I couldn't afford to buy another power stone. So um, we're stuck. Maybe that's because I like the restrictions on working with what I have. Mm, that's certainly something I enjoy. I mean, uh, I I like the fact that I can look at my character sheet and say I've got this much somewhere, and I'm stuck out here in the middle of this uh, of this vast desert. Somewhere out there, there's a flange lifter, but I have no flange lifter, so I must do without. Why didn't you include our, the wheelbarrow in our assets in the first place? <sighs> and a Holocaust cloak, cloak yes. I, I wonder if this starts to merge into the, the thing I, I think of as outside game activities, which were much more popular mm. in the 80s and to some extent the 90s than they are now, when when it was assumed that the typical gamer had more time mm. and indeed wanted to do game-related things even when the rest of the group wasn't about. Um, and optimising your equipment list is very definitely one of those things. True. Especially if it's a matter of the GM saying, OK, you can have anything in this book of legality class 3 or higher. With, mm. Without without having to having to get any you know special role playing exemptions for it, um, but also GURPS vehicle design or any, any vehicle design. Yeah, go on. Um, it, it certainly wasn't the first system that that offered that. Mm. But if if you as GM or indeed as player wants to have a vehicle with particular characteristics, yes, here is a system that will let let you build one until you much it costs and and what its other performance things are but this is not something you do in a game no and to me the, the the more fiddly bits of character generation including deciding just what you're carrying and not things you do in a game though i'm sure well, I, I, I sort of i do rather expect them to have done it and emailed it to me but there are always things that uh, the things that we aren't interested in are the things we don't imagine in any great detail mm. um for instance when i was learning trying to learn to drive uh, back in the last century, failing seven times, somebody asked me what sort of car I was learning to drive on, and I said to them, a red one. Mm. Which indicates why I've never paid that much attention to girls' vehicle design. <laughs> ah. Yeah, the, the thing I've, do, I've used, done with it as, as a GM, I think the, the thing I used it most for was a um, traveller-type free trader game. Mm where I designed four or five general classes of ship, including the one the PCs mm. were going to have, with different capabilities such that, you know, th this one can land anywhere, this this one needs a spaceport infrastructure with an actual runway, mm. and so on. And then we can say, okay, here is the profit margin that, that the runway-bound ship has over the land-anywhere ship, because it doesn't need such big engines. Mm. Therefore, this is what sort of difference in in um, selling prices we're going to have when you have a world without a runway, or when somebody wants something delivered privately to his estate. Not mm. that that's going to go wrong. Yeah, you know, basically, what what it's saying if, is that you know, just as historically the tramp steamer was pushed out by containerization, mm. um, the land anywhere ship, the the sort of ship a PC typically wants. Is put is pushed out by the big ones. The the um the ship that carries its own hyperdrive is pushed out by the by the one that um has a has a hyperdrive module and then separate shuttles that go down to the planet but don't have to carry the hyperdrive with them because mm. again smaller engines more cargo space. Yeah, it, it basically the, it it defined for me, uh, in a way I could back up with with at least plausible looking numbers, the margins that the PCs were going to be confined to. And therefore, the shape of the campaign. But did you have the idea of of being the squeezed free traders in your mind 
to start with. I, I wanted to see what would happen. I, I was originally thinking basically Traveller with the serial numbers filed off because there is so much of Traveller mm. that it's a lot of work to run if, if you want to uh, not be inconsistent with stuff, which possibly I, I, I care a bit too much about. Mm-hmm. But as, as I did the num- as I did the numbers, it it became apparent that um, yeah, here here is an interesting margin to be. Where did that, uh, the, the, these are made up starships. Where did where did all this come from? Is it from uh, a regard for physics, or has somebody fudged yeah. the numbers? Um, if if you want, well, it's mass essentially. Mm. Um, if you if you, you you're delivering something from say a jump point way over there to the surface of a planet, mm. your hyperdrive has a certain mass to it. If you don't have to haul the hyperdrive to the planet and back. Mm. Then that's mass you don't have to spend, and and that that mm. you you can have a smaller engine get the same acceleration you burn less fuel get the same, mm. or a faster trip, and so on. But you're leaving your hyperdrive behind, and you're not going to be able to jump out of the system. Yeah, you, when you, you get shot at around the planet. Yeah, and you need a larger crew, uh, because you need to leave some of them on the hyperdrive module, mm. and then some of them on on the shuttle, and so on. And, and similarly, if you have um, a thrust-to-weight ratio of about sort of 0.3, like like a modern aircraft, mm. civil aircraft, so you need a runway to take off, um, that's a whole lot less engine than if you need a thrust-to-weight ratio of 1.1, so you can take off vertically. I think the interesting thing with equipment and and shopping and things comes when a player turns to you and say, but, says, but surely you have this in this sort of universe, and you suddenly realise you haven't thought of that before. But that's the joy of almost any setting. Hmm. Weren't there people uh, who only operated hyperdrive modules and uh, rented space out to the people who were going to go down to the planet? If not, why not? I don't think things had gone that far, basically because the, because the um, this was a fairly frontier hmm. setting. Uh, the large shipping lines had already moved in and they they can obviously absorb more more of a loss than hmm. an individual operator can. Hmm. The romance of the spaceways. Oh, well. mm-hmm. Anything more to say about stuff? <sighs> well, I, I would like to put it put in a um, small favourable mention of GURPS Ultratech. It was one of the new, one of the mm. very first GURPS Fourth Edition books, and and it is a little rough in this regard because. Uh, there, there was some haste in the playtesting. I, I say this as someone who was involved in the playtesting. There were things we mm. missed. But it is still really jolly good in terms of pretty much most most of the things you'd want in a high-tech setting are there in some form and, and in a reasonably mutually consistent form. But bear in mind that they're also the things that we can imagine in the high-tech setting and the future will not be like that. Yeah, one of the things I like about GURPS fourth tech levels, we talked about tech levels before, is is that there is this super science uh, punctuation. Mm. So if, if something is labelled as TL8 hat, or just TL hat, it mm. means, okay, this is not consistent with physics as we know it. And that that is obviously a big warning that says, if you let this into your game, you are potentially introducing huge inconsistencies. Yeah, And at the very least, you should think about it a lot. I, uh, I I look forward to being uh, surprised by the future, what what I have left of it. Um, but uh, on that on that depressing thought, and on the fact that I'm going to have to do shopping expeditions for all eternity for all my for all my games, let's move onwards. If you have a list of things you want to find in the LD Magic Shoppy, or um, a list of things you'd like to lo- load aboard our space liner, you can contact us by... Uh, use the website, most probably, or email to podcast at tekeli.ly. And we will return deeper and darker into the winter next time.